Turn with me tonight to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And we're going to read from verse 12 right through to verse 21. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 to 21. Let's hear the word of the Lord, reading, of course, from the authorized version. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Who is the figure of him that was to come? (coughs) But not as the offence, so also is the free gift. For if through the offence of one many be dead, much more the grace of God, and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offences unto justification. For if by one man's offence death reigned by one, much more than they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offence of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience Many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. (coughs) That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life. By Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 21. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text tonight is taken from Romans chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. And it reads as follows. Moreover the law entered that the offence might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now my theme tonight is entitled, The Reign of the Superabundant Grace of God. And right at the outset, I would confess to you that I would have loved more time, having coming back from Germany last night, to develop this message. But I give you what I feel 
has been given to me. Let me start with an illustration. In 2005, uh, two individuals from America wrote a book called Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. It was a book based on 3,000 American teenagers as to what they believed. And in the book, they considered these common religious beliefs among American teenagers as moralistic, therapeutic deism. Now, that's a mouthful. These two authors summed up five elements of the American teenagers' beliefs. One, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watch over human life. Two, God wants people to be nice to each other, to be fair to each other as taught in the Bible and in the majority of world religions. Three, that the central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. Four, that God doesn't need to be involved in your life unless you've got a problem that you need God to resolve for you. Fifthly, that good people go to heaven when they die. And the minute I read that and thought of this as moralistic therapeutic deism, I thought of the state of things among teenagers in the United Kingdom in 2017. I wonder if we were to do a survey of 3,000 United Kingdom teenagers as to what they believed, maybe even 3,000 teenagers from Northern Ireland here as to what they believed. I wonder, would we come to the same conclusion that what they really believe is nothing more than moralistic, therapeutic deism. You see, much of what goes under the name of Christianity today in Northern Ireland comes under the banner of morality or moralism. And of course, much of what is preached from pulpits today is nothing more than dressed up moralism. People are told how to behave uh, irrespective of what they believe. Thousands today believe that good people go to heaven when they die. And yet the standard of human goodness is usually not in line with the teaching of the Bible. And of course, feeling good about oneself is the main reason why some teenagers go to church. It's the main reason why they claim to believe in Jesus. And of course, their thought is, well, he helps people to succeed in life. And if that's what young people really believe, then it's rightly named, as these authors described it, moralistic, therapeutic deism. And it's far removed from the true gospel of God, as revealed in the Holy Scriptures, that centers in the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul focused on the great theme of the gospel, Romans chapter 1. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, that's in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And that 
statement that just shall live by faith is mentioned four times in the Bible and it's a very important reference. I was tempted to preach on it tonight coming back from Germany and maybe I wish that I had. Maybe you wish that I had. But I, I trust that that's a theme that we will come to understand later on in the year. But after stating the great theme of the gospel from Romans chapter 1 verse 18 to Romans chapter 3 verse 20, the Paul is proving that the whole world of sinners is under the judgment and wrath of God because of sin. That they were all sinners under the condemnation of God. And then in Romans chapter 3, 21 to chapter 4 verse 25, <laughs> He sets forth the death of Jesus Christ on the cross that satisfied all the righteous demands of a holy and just God in the offering of his once and for all sacrifice for sin and in the ground of that once and for all sacrifice and the ground of the death of the bleeding lamb. God then is satisfied. God's wrath is appeased. Uh, God's wrath is propitiated. And God therefore becomes the just and the justifier of everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus. Romans chapter 5 then goes on to set forth the wonderful blessings of the justified. And towards the end of Romans 5, when we come to verse 20, the Apostle Paul, he anticipates a question. Especially those familiar with the Old Testament, especially those from a Jewish background. And the question is this, well, well, why did God give the law? Why did God give the Ten Commandments? What was his purpose? And of course, the majority of Jews believed that God gave the law so people could keep the law and that they could live by the law, a life that's holy and acceptable to God. Now, now notice what Paul says. Look with me at verse 20. And I confess that this is deep tonight, but I want you to look at the book. It says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. So let's understand that. What does that mean when you read that? The law of God came in so that transgression, so that iniquity, so that sin would increase. The law of God, as embodied in the Ten Commandments, came in to cause sin to increase. That's what that means. And notice where sin abounded, what happened? Grace, that's the grace of God, did much more abound. You see, the Apostle Paul here in Romans 5, especially from chapter or verse 12 onwards to the end, is speaking here of the reign of two great monarchs, two great kings in the life. And you've got the monarch of sin. And you have to think of the entrance of sin. You've got to think of the extent of sin. You've got to think of the experience of sin. And you also have the monarch of grace. And these two do not and cannot coexist. Only one can reign in the heart of any man. 
And outside of Christ, all men are under the reign of sin. That is, they're controlled by sin. They're, they're dominated by sin. They're, 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 they're ruled by sin. But once the sinner is brought into Christ, out of a state of guilt, into a state of grace, in Christ, men come under the reign of God's grace. It was the late Donald Gray Barnhouse and he paraphrased this. And I give the paraphrase to you. When sin reached a high watermark, grace completely flooded the world. And it's a glorious truth tonight that God's grace is greater than all our sin. And I want us to think this evening for 20 minutes or so, of the reign of the superabounding grace of God. Now, firstly, grace exposes the wickedness of the human heart. The law of God, as summarized in the Ten Commandments, doesn't restrain or hold back Sin at a heart level. Let, let me explain that. Suppose you're driving down the road, like I am often, and uh, you are maybe exceeding the speed limit, and you think uh, as you're going over the speed limit, uh, you notice a sign that says there's a police camera, or you see a blue light flashing, and it could even be an ambulance. And what's the immediate reaction to slow down? Or if you see a, a police car passing you at the traffic light, you, you pull on the seat belt. You, you think of a, a, a bank robber or someone who's going to break into the house of an elderly person. And if he sees a policeman at the door of the bank or, or, or sees a police car sitting outside the house of that individual, he may not actually and physically that night break into that house but that doesn't restrain or deal with his evil desire or the lust of his heart. We'll still want the speed on the road. We'll still want to drive without a seatbelt. Greed and covetousness will, will make us want to steal. It was the Apostle Paul who said in Romans 7 and verse 7, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet but sin. Taken occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupience. For without the law sin was dead. We lady said to the minister on one occasion, would you stop preaching on the Ten Commandments because you're putting ideas into people's head? She says, when I go home, I, I pass a green and there's a sign, don't walk in the grass. And I never would have thought of walking in the grass. I would have just kept in the path. But because the sign says don't walk in the grass, it's putting it into my head. And I have this inclination that I actually want to walk in the grass. I remember hearing about uh, a fancy hotel in Canada that put up a sign, no fishing. Uh, and the, the hotel was sort of overlooking a lake. Uh, uh, and uh, people started to fish there. People come to the hotel with their fishing rods and were standing there despite the sign. You see, 
One of the purposes of the law was actually to increase our sin. That's why God gave the law. One of the purposes is to increase sin, to show the exceeding sinfulness of our sin. The law of God doesn't make us better. In fact, the law of God made men worse. It increased sin. It, it increased law-breaking. Now, let me just tell you very quickly how the law increases sin. It increases sin in a number of ways. It, it increases sin by making um, Men sins, actual sins of disobedience, because sin remembers the transgression of the law. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Think of 1 John 3 and 4. Uh, the law increases sin by imputing guilt to our account. The law increases sin by exposing the sinfulness of sin. The law increases sin by removing every excuse for disobedience of God's law. The law increases sin by stimulating our sinful nature to disobey. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? You see, the law of God, as summarized in the Ten Commandments, is necessary to, to expose our own self-righteousness. It was necessary to convict us to what sin is. How do we know what sin is? How do we know that sin is heinous? How do we know that it's odious in the sight of God? How do we know that, that God is displeased? It's because of the law. The law increases our sin. And this increase of sin is manifest in the reign of death. You see, sin just doesn't come in. Sin takes over. Think of the reign of a monarch or a tyrant in your heart. Maybe we'll illustrate it this way. You've got a house and you've got a room to rent out and you, you invite a guest to come, maybe to throw you a few pounds, and uh, they, they come into that room and start living there as if that's their room. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, they've taken over the whole house and they've taken charge. And that house guest has become a vicious predator. And, and that predator now is, is reigning and in charge of your property see that's what sin does and when the bible talks about the reign of death it's talking about sin ruling being dominant and being in control of every area and aspect of your life young people sin will not make you happy it'll make you unhappy think of the prodigal and his riotous living sin will not make you holy it'll make you unholy Sin will not make you healthy. Sin, 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 the way of the transgressor is hard. Sin is unhealthy. Sin leads to death, physical death. Leads to eternal death. The wages of sin is death through our, uh, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, it's only through Jesus Christ does His superabounding grace deal with the reign of sin in the life and the first thing that the grace of God does is begin to expose the sinfulness of our heart, exposes the wickedness of our heart by showing us the exceeding sinfulness of sin in light of the law of God. How do we know and see what sin is? Here's the answer, the grace of God. God and grace. 
God coming to us who are undeserving, in fact, hell-deserving sinners. And he comes and he opens our eyes to the exceeding sinfulness of sin. He comes and opens our ears to the, the great truth of the gospel. He makes us know and feel that we're sinners. You've broken God's law. And we begin to realize, oh, I've got a wicked and sinful heart. Doesn't the Bible say um, in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? How can we know that we've got a wicked heart, a deceitful heart? The answer is by the grace of God. So this superabounding grace of God exposes the wickedness of our heart. Very quickly and secondly, God's grace exceeds the wickedness of the human heart. Think of our text. It says here, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The grace of God is greater than all of our sin. And that was a title to a sermon that Dr. Alan Kearns gave at the second annual Bible conference down in Ballymena. I think it might have been 2002 or, or 2003. And I know many in the province that was there and heard that message thought it was an absolute tremendous message. The grace of God is greater than all our sin. You, you think tonight of the depravity of sin. Think of a, an individual and their wills depraved. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Their mind is darkened. They, they, they do not understand anything of God, his grace or his gospel. Their affections are diseased. They're, they're in love with sin and in love with their self. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And their heart is dead to God. They have no feeling or thought about God or the things of God. And, and, and what happens to them in that state of depravity? What happens to them in the depth of their sin? In the darkness of their sin? The grace of God comes upon them. And the grace of God exceeds the wickedness of their heart. Think of what sin did to Adam. The first man. In a place of absolute sinless perfection. In the very paradise of God. And sin come into the heart and life of our first parents. And not only did they become guilty sinners and they violated the law of God, Genesis 2 and 17, in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. They become spiritually dead to God. And, and physical death began to work in their body. And they were in danger of physical death. But not only did they inherit the guilt of their first sin, but they became polluted sinners. They, they had a heart that loved sin. And we, the seed of Adam, as we said this morning in Psalm 51 and verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And the moment Adam became a guilty sinner before God and had a heart that was polluted before God, it destroyed his relationship with the Lord. The Lord no longer came and walked with them in the garden of the community. No longer talked to him. It not only affected his relationship Godward, it affected his relationship with his wife because he blamed Adam and Eve. It was really like the first row between the husband and wife. And you think of Adam's posterity now in the 21st century. 
You think tonight of the dens of iniquity in the world. Think of the individual who's given over to bouts of drunkenness. Think of the alcoholic tonight, completely addicted and bound by the chain of alcohol. Think of the, the, the drug addict in the majority of our major cities and towns and even villages. You, you think of the homosexual tonight and homosexual practices. Add into the mix there the, 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 the prostitutes selling themselves for money. Think about murder that's going on in the major cities across the, the western world and beyond. Add into the mix abortion. Think of the millions of little babies since the Abortion Act came into effect in 1967. Add into the mix, crime wave. Think of the, the prisons that are full. Think of the, the poverty stricken in the country. Thousands who feel unloved. They're unloved in life and unknown in death and they live as individuals. See, many individuals tonight say, there's no hope for me. I'm in the depravity of sin. I, I'm in the depths of sin. I'm in the darkness of sin. Whether they're a drunkard tonight or a drug addict or a homosexual or, or a prostitute or a murderer or a thief or, or guilty of abortion or in the depths of depression and poverty, many are saying tonight, there's no hope for me. I'm in the depths of sin. I'm in the darkness of sin. I'm in the depravity of sin. And you know the wonderful message of the gospel is this. That the grace of God spans the greatest distance. Because God spanned from heaven to earth. <coughs> by sending his only begotten son. And God spans the great of darkness. Because into the darkness of man's depravity there arose a light. Jesus said I'm the light of the world. And the grace of God spans the great depravity of sinners. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he, that is God, hath made him, that is Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And the grace of God reveals to us the person and work of Jesus Christ. Teaches us about his birth. Teaches us about his sinless life. Teaches us about his atoning death. Teaches us about his resurrection. Remember what Paul could say there in, Roman, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He made a tremendous statement. He said this. Know ye not that the unrighteous <coughs> shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And you would immediately read that and think, right, men are lost. There's no hope for men in the darkness and the depths and the depravity of sin. But listen to verse 11. I, I was sharing this with some folks earlier in the week. We were talking about homosexuality. I, I was saying there's hope for the homosexual. We even preached a message in that. It's on the internet. Please listen to it. And such were some of you. But ye are washed. That, that is washed by faith in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. I think of the question, have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? But, but you're sanctified. That, that is set apart by the Spirit. 
But ye are justified, legally declared righteous, and, and treated as a child of God. And it's all in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You see, the grace of God, you know what it does? It not only exposes the wickedness of the sinner's heart, but the grace of God comes and exceeds the wickedness of the human heart. In other words, the grace of God unites us to Christ. And in Christ, he is treated and accepted as Christ is treated. Sin's a powerful tyrant. Who could hold back the power of sin in the life of an individual? Remember the, the hymn writer, he breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. And when sin has done its worst in the life, the grace of God arises. And the grace of God comes in power. The grace of God emerges as the great conqueror and the great victor of the life of the sinner. One final thing. The grace of God not only exposes the wickedness of the human heart and exceeds the wickedness of the human heart, but it expels the wickedness of the human heart. Remember in the introduction I talked about two great monarchs, the reign of sin and the reign of grace. And these two great monarchs cannot share the same throne. And there's no exception to that principle. And the grace of God expels the reign of sin in the life of a sinner as the gospel of God's salvation is applied to that individual. And that individual then receives new life in Christ. Doesn't the Bible say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and the verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And all things are passed away, and all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. See, the moment you're brought into Christ, you have a new life in Christ, and sin's reign, as far as its power and control is concerned, it is broken. And, that, 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 and, and Christ brings a change. We sometimes sing, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. Now we were singing there deliberately, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine, was blind. But now I see that, that young people was written by a man called uh, John Newton. And um, John Newton was a slave trader. He, he lived from 1725 to 1807. And did you know that that hymn that we have just sung tonight was a number one for five weeks in the, the top 40 in the United Kingdom? Way back in the 15th of April, uh, 1972, the Royal Scot Dragoon Guards, uh, with their instruments, uh, played the tune of Amazing Grace. And for five weeks, it was the reigning number one hymn, or the, the, the number one tune in the United Kingdom. Also, if you go to a place in Donegal, Brother Graham will keep me right, a place called Boncrana, 
Um, somewhere along the route you'll see a sign and it talks about Amazing Grace Country. Now I have to confess I've never seen the sign, but it, it's somewhere near Inish Owen. And there's even an Amazing Grace Festival in April. I don't know who runs it. There's an Amazing Grace Walk. There's Amazing Grace Viewpoint. And you know what it's looking towards? It's looking there to Loch Swilly. You see, as the slave trader John Newton was aboard his ship full of slaves, it was called the Greyhound. As he come there to where the Atlantic Ocean and the Loch Swilly meet, there was a tremendous storm. And Newton feared for his life. Now let me tell you, John Newton's mother was a believer. He was taught Bible verses as a child. His mother died when he was age six. He was at sea from the age of 11. He was a wild man. He was a slave trader, as I said. Do you think of what that meant? It was going into the darkest Africa. It was grabbing a child or a young person from the mother or maybe grabbing the mother and the father and putting them into a cage and treating them like animals and selling them on to make money. It was called the slave trade. And yet this man, and that storm, feared God so much that he fell on his knees and he cried out for God to save him. And that moment he was instantly saved. You don't need to be in church to be saved. There's no such thing as getting saved from 11.30 and 7 o'clock. You can be saved in a field. I know people who've been saved in a barn and in a byre. People who've been saved sitting in their car. People who've been saved sitting at home in a bedside or on their knees in the living room. But I want to ask the question tonight. Have you come to the place where you've said, Lord, I'm a wretch? Lord, I need to be found. Lord, I'm lost. Lord, I'm blind. You see, all of us tonight are lost outside of Christ. We're like the lost sheep. We're like the lost silver. We're, we're like the lost son. Lost in a sea of sin. Spiritually blind and dead to God. If you saw yourself as a wretch, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Has your eyes been opened to that truth? Has your ears been opened to the voice of the Lord Jesus? Do, do you hear him calling you? Has your heart been opened to respond to the amazing grace of God? Let me ask, what keeps you out of hell tonight? Do you know the answer? The amazing grace of God. What can deal with your sin tonight? The blood of Jesus Christ as revealed in the gospel through the grace of God. Do you know anything tonight of the righteousness of God imputed by faith? You see, grace abounds to the godless. And John Newton was godless up to that point. And yet the amazing thing is this. The grace of God lifted him from being a slave trader. And do you know at the end, towards the end of his days when he was in the ministry, he went along to, with William Wilberforce. He was a great man who opposed the slave trade. And he, John Newton stood along with him in Parliament and he pleaded with the parliamentarians in Westminster to bring about the abolition of the slave trade. Now who would ever have thought a man who stole children and men and women from darkest Africa and brought them to the other side of the world and sold them as slaves for to make money. That one day he would be calling for the abolition of the slave market. <clears throat> How did that change come about? It come about 
through the wonderful grace of God. He felt the power of God's grace in his life. Let me ask as we finish tonight, do you desire God's grace? Have you any inclination in your heart and mind that you would genuinely love to be saved? Love to come to Christ. Love to know sins are forgiven. I'm under the blood. I'm in Christ. That desire is the first step. That There's proof that the Spirit of God is at work. And I would encourage you not just to have the desire, but by God's grace make a decision and say, I'm coming to Christ now. I'm coming tonight. What is greater than all our sin? The grace of God. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste how gracious and good our God is tonight. Let God's grace expose your sin. God's grace will exceed it. God's grace will expel it in the life. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. May the Lord take these few truths and bless them to you this evening.